0: Okay, so, Leviticus 1, one will be the first bit of reading. It says, The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. And then if you flick over to the end of the book, verse 34, These are the commands the Lord gave Moses at Mount Sinai for the Israelites. The Lord spoke to Moses, the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the Tent of Meeting and then these are the commands the Lord gave Moses. Uh, The reason I've um, read those two verses is running right through Leviticus uh, is the repeated refrain Uh, And the Lord said to Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, and the Lord said to Moses. And so the whole book consists of uh, these uh, speeches, as it were, these words, these commands that the Lord gave to Moses. starts and ends that way. Now, as we jump into this series, one question you might have is... Uh, What is the value of studying the book of Leviticus together? Well, apart from the fact that it's God's word, um, one, uh, it's a good question, I suppose. Um, One of my instincts is to uh, read Leviticus, perhaps you're like me, uh, and subconsciously think to myself, wow, I'm glad I don't have to do all that anymore. Uh, And so then the book becomes, as it were, a manual for remembering how bad things used to be. Can anybody resonate with that? Uh, For example, the sacrifices sound like a lot of work uh, and maybe even a chore. This long list of complicated sacrifices or maybe it's the case that these various distinctions that the book brings out, you know, don't wear clothing, made of two types of material or make sure that you don't eat these type of animals, etc., can just sound a little bit uh, laborious um, and restricting Um, or perhaps it's like the calendar is this kind of um, religious calendar that your whole life is governed by. Uh, It just feels like that's a little bit all-consuming and so we're left with, well, thank God we don't live in the age of Leviticus and move on praise God for Jesus, off we go. Maybe. But I think that um, if we do have that kind of approach, uh, I think for myself, I think it just exposes my own lack of understanding Uh, because I think for the the good Jew, this book with its succession of 35 uh, instructions, 35 places the Lord says and the Lord said, were extremely significant at the time, right? More more than significant, we might say. We might say that they were a major blessing. So I suppose what I'm going to try to do is ramp up Leviticus to help us to see it's actually an amazing book. What it contains is incredible. And maybe it's the case that we think too little of Leviticus because we think too little of God and therefore aren't amazed that he spoke to people and gave them instructions in the first place. It's amazing that God spoke, that he gave uh, these instructions. Or perhaps it's that we think too little of God and therefore don't think uh, of approaching him as being that big of a deal. We think, oh yeah, we approach God and that's what we do. Um, but actually Leviticus teaches us that approaching God is, is amazing it's an incredible privilege um, and as we'll, as we'll come to see it's not something that you can just do uh, whenever you feel like it uh, what is amazing about Leviticus is that Leviticus uh, sorry, is that in Leviticus Uh, The Lord gives instructions about how to approach him in worship and how he is going to be able to dwell in the midst of an unholy people and how they should regulate their lives around him so that they can learn more about him. It's 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 an instruction manual for the people of God living in God's place as to how they can have this holy God living in their midst. So uh, Leviticus, uh, for, for the for the nation of Israel at least, was functioning in this way for them. Now, what that means is that, I mean, perhaps it's good actually just to think. If you think to yourself, what is kind of what's right at the centre of Leviticus? Just have a brief little thought to yourself. What is, what is Leviticus? What's at the centre of Leviticus? Or what's, what's kind of underneath and driving Leviticus on? I think that at the end of the day, Leviticus, we won't do a forum, don't worry. Uh, at the end of the day, I think Leviticus is actually about relationship with God. And when we frame it that way, doesn't it change and take on a slightly uh, a, a, sweet, uh, a more of a sweeter note that perhaps we hadn't thought before? Leviticus really is about having relationship with God. So, the book of Leviticus taps into that deepest longing within us for relationship and specifically for relationship with God. Um, and Leviticus is going to show us How that way was opened up, the old way. Um, I think something that will help us to appreciate Leviticus more um, is if we remember the storyline of the Bible. Uh, In particular, I'll just I'll just um, bring out a few points that will help us locate Leviticus uh, in the storyline and then appreciate it a bit more. So the story of the world starts, and the Lord makes the world, and then He makes people. And he puts the people um, in uh, the garden uh, that is in Eden, and he gears the whole of the creation towards uh, the day of the Sabbath, when he will have relationship uh, with these people. He'll he'll dwell with the people in the garden on the Sabbath day, and it's go- that's the the high point of the creation story. However, the people disobey the Lord, and they need to be removed from the garden, right? And importantly, the Lord puts at the entrance to the garden the angels guarding the way back to the garden. And the people then continue to live and multiply and die outside of the garden. So the whole rest of the story is outside of the garden. The Lord continues to speak and kind of make appearances and and whatnot, uh, through dreams and, and so forth. Uh, but for the most part, and I think this is important, the Lord is, religiously speaking, in heaven. But after the promises to Abraham and the creation of the people in Egypt, right, creates a large people, makes a promise to Abraham, that the people are in Egypt, and he brings them out of Egypt, and he's taking them on the journey into the land that he's promised them. Uh, this is where we, we meet the context for uh, Leviticus. Exodus, leaving Egypt, and then Leviticus. Now, the point here is that the Lord hasn't given up on his original creational plan, you see. So he will have a people in his place and he will rule over them and be their good king and have a relationship with them on the other end of the Sabbath. That's going to happen. So he's moving towards that goal. He's recreating that people. And then there is this high point in the book of Exodus. Track with me. You'll see where this is going for Leviticus. There's this high point in the book of Leviticus. right? The high point is when the Lord comes down at the end of, 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 sorry, uh, of Exodus. This is the high point in Exodus when the lord uh, comes down in chapter 40 after moses has just built the tabernacle right so he brings them out of egypt gives them the commands instructions for the tabernacle they build the tabernacle and then at the end boom the lord is with his people in the tabernacle that moment there is a is like a massive moment in the storyline of the bible right because prior to that time, where was God, and where was uh, where was God in relation to His people, and in relation to His creational purposes? Um, and you see, Moses goes up the mountain, as it were, and um, well, no, he really goes up the mountain, and um, gets the instructions for the tabernacle, uh, and and the Lord tells him to build the tabernacle in such a way that it's like a little, uh, it's meant to remind him of a little world. Uh, with a little garden inside the tabernacle. And the way that we can see that, most obviously, is through the fact that in the design of the tabernacle, uh, the the curtain that blocks the way into the most holy place had the angels on the curtain as a reminder that um, the way back to that time of being with God in the garden is still blocked off. Right, that's really important. And then also through the fact that both the entrances, so the whole tabernacle, the way that it's facing, the way it's geared, is all set towards the east. It's not arbitrary the way that they made it. The Lord wanted it made facing towards the east because that's the same direction that the entrance to the Garden of Eden is. It's facing the east. Um, and so the, the idea here, which we won't uh, continue... Um, for now, is that the tabernacle is like a little world and the most holy of holies is like a little Eden. And the Lord has come and he's dwelt in Exodus 40. He's come and he's filled the tabernacle. Can you see what's happened? This is like the massive moment because what's happened really is it's like a new creation in the creation. Can you see that? It's like a new world has kind of broken out uh, or at least been been set up in a kind of symbolic way within the world. Now, just uh, I'll read one verse here from Psalm 78 verse 69 just so that you can see uh, this uh, connection between the temple and the world. So, Psalm 78 verse 69 says, He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth, that he established forever. Did you catch that? He built his sanctuary, that's his temple, his tabernacle, his holy place, like the heights, that is, like the earth, that he established forever. He built the tabernacle like the world. And there are a number of other parallels. Can you feel that? The idea is that, that we once we get to that moment, the question is, what now? You see? And that's where we are, when we arrive at the book of Leviticus. So, it's going to be a little bit of a journey in Leviticus to kind of start to send ourselves back in time, uh, put on the old clothes and, um, yeah, imagine ourselves in that world because everything that is happening around the... uh, with with all the sacrifices and, and the festivals it's like they're living out these stories and so the smells and the sights um and the and the activities are painting pictures they're creating a little a world that you're in uh which is going to set up obviously for uh, for Jesus in the future um and and a and a, c- a clue that something that we're not there yet is at the end of Exodus when when Moses, the glory fills the, the, the tent um, you can just turn here if you like it's literally just back one page so it's Exodus 40 in verse 34 you see it says the, the then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle right, that's the moment that's amazing we've never had that before then in verse 35 Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud had settled on it. You catch that? So even Moses, the guy who's been up the mountain and been with God, he can't enter into the tabernacle at this moment because the glory of the Lord's filled the tabernacle. There's a sense in which we're reminded something is, that the way has not fully been opened back to the garden. So, into that context, uh comes the book of uh, Leviticus, and it shows how this people is now going to live with the Lord who has now come to dwell in their midst. do you see that and so if we were to if we were to go back to to finish Leviticus and get into numbers what we would see is that num uh, exodus as it were took us out of Egypt and it was the way to Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where this kind of God back with man happens, but then we get all the stuff that happens in Leviticus. Priesthood, sacrifice etc. And then Numbers starts to move us on from Sinai and away uh, back out, we're off again to the promised land. And so Leviticus as a, in, in, a, in, a, in a strange way is like a timeless book. It's almost like we, we just press pause on the movement out of Exodus into the promised land and we are just focused now right in on the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, and the Lord is giving 35 commands to Moses. And it just goes to show uh, this um, uh, the importance that this book would have been uh, for the Jews. Right here, and, and that is, you know, we need to feel that same... Uh, Sense of, ah, yes, let's cling on to the details, what's going on here, because this is the Lord opening up the way for how he's going to dwell with his people. So, after all that, you might be saying, that's all good and well, but now we have Jesus. And that's true. But, this is where Leviticus comes in to help us again. What I mean by that is that, as you will well know, uh, Jesus and the work that he achieved on the cross and his own person is described for us in language that comes from the Old Testament. Right. So as soon as we start using language about Jesus as a sacrifice or Jesus as a priest... It's sending us back to Leviticus. Now the thing is, if you've got no categories for sacrifice, if you've got no categories for priesthood, you're going to load those baskets up with whatever is in your modern mind. We need to send ourselves back there and and let the Bible build a world for us to live in and then having lived in that world we can see when Jesus come along and shine because we go, ah, wow, look, he is the sacrifice. Right. I'm totally prepped to understand the significance of a sacrifice. Or when he says, you know, uh, I'm going to, uh, Paul says, you know, but you've been washed, you've been cleansed. And you go, ah amazing I've been washed I've been cleansed do you know do you understand what that means even the simple fact that some of that will resonate with us a little bit now is only indicative that we've had input from the Old Testament in our own psyche you just go to uh, any punter on the street and say hey what do you think if you could get washed or cleansed it might be like washed or cleansed you know th- ha- w- what's the significance here you know needs a sacrifice. Why on earth do I need a sacrifice? So, Leviticus is going to help us because it's going to load up those categories and help us to appreciate Jesus more. And that is potentially the biggest uh, payoff for uh, Leviticus and why it's going to be good to study it. Um, another thing about Leviticus that is going to help us in these coming weeks is that it will help us to grow in our knowledge and appreciation of the holiness of God. Um, Leviticus confronts us um, at two points in particular with uh, it's the whole book. Once we understand the, the, the structure of how it works, the fact that even Moses can't get in when the Lord comes, we realise, wow, we are dealing with something else here. Uh, when, when the Lord has come, the problem of sin is still there, and we are dealing with a God that you don't just wander in into His presence. Um, and so, the Lord, and through all the other ways that Leviticus teaches the people to be marked out as a people uh, by by how they live, by what they eat, uh, by all these um, uh, rituals that uh, illustrate for them the need for cleanness and distinction, uh, we grow to appreciate. That we are dealing with a holy God, and that should in turn, as we see how holy He is, and that in turn should, 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 um, uh, magnify our wonder at what Jesus has actually achieved. You know, we, we, we perhaps have such small thoughts of the Lord that we wonder why our love for Jesus is so low but as, as, as our grasp of how holy the Lord is, of how even these people that he, right, all the world, and he chooses this group of people, right, they're his special people, and then within that group of people, the Levitical, the Levite people, and then within that group of people, Aaron and his sons, and then within that little subgroup, uh, the high priest, and within and, and him only once a year gets to go in, and even then he still has to take in coal with the incense on it and create a cloud and, as it were, cover the Lord up. He still has to enter into a cloud. The thing's still covered for one day of the year, and we have got such low thoughts. We think, you know. Treat, treat Jesus with familiarity or the, the access that we have to God, as Paul says you know through that we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand uh, so lightly, so hopefully it will will help us with that so that really is um, I think uh, a couple of points there about the goodness of studying Leviticus and a little bit in terms of direction of where we 're going uh, i 'm just going to spend a couple of minutes um, doing a little bit of work on structure with us. So, fun times, structure, right? Now, you'll understand structure matters and if you come back in weeks ahead, you know, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit, um, what's the word, you know, we have to, Leviticus, we're getting ready to work, uh, as it were. So, now, the point is, the reason I'm showing us the structure, wouldn't do it in every book, but I think, uh, Leviticus has a structure that is, that is clear and teaches us something. Now, if you know what a chiasm is, I won't explain it. Does everybody know what a chiasm is? Hands up if you do not know what a chiasm is. Are we fuzzy? Right, one person, that's enough. I'm happy with that. Okay, right. Now, chiasm like a, is a um, literary device, you know, is literary? Is, is literary? We all track with that word. It's a literary device that is used in the Bible uh, to to structure the way the words are put. Whether emphasis falls in the centre, that's one. That's one. A, a popular argument. Perhaps the best way to think of it is that you can spot. Once you spot the structure, you then work out why that structure is being used. Now, I've got a picture here, but I'm not very tech savvy. So I couldn't. That's what I wanted to do. One day that will happen. So, right, here's, here's the structure, right? And you understand why this matters. At the centre of the structure, sorry, a chiasm goes like this. A chiasm goes uh, A, B, as it, uh, B, A. So it says, um, uh, the Lord is good, um, He does everything right. Uh, Everything he does is right. Goodness belongs to the Lord. And you see the first and the last, they go together and the two in the middle go together, but they're stated in slightly different ways. Um, And so Leviticus has got seven parts to it. So it's got three parts, then a centre, then three more parts. The first part and the last part correspond. Second and the sixth correspond and so forth uh, through to the centre. Now, here are some of the markers and you'll see... First one is chapter 1, 1 through to 7 verse 38 and you can see that's the end of chapter 7 and you can see that there's a turning point there because in your Bible you'll have headings, right? And if you just look through in chapter 5 and chapter 6 you'll have all these dark headings, right? So it says the guilt offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, the guilt offering. You see that? So one right chapters 1 to 7 is talking about the offerings. So all the different sacrifices... Then, you'll see the heading of chapter 8 gives you a clue of where we're going next. The ordination of Aaron and his sons. Is that what you've got? And then chapter 9 is the same thing. The priests begin their ministry. You see that? The priests begin their ministry. So, what happens there is the first section is sacrifices or rituals, uh, the things that you... uh, activities, uh, ritual, religious activities that have been given... The second block is priestly stuff. The next block is in, uh, starts in chapter 11 verse 1 and you see there it says clean and unclean food and that goes right through to the end of chapter 15 and that is all just about clean and unclean stuff. Uh, clean and unclean food that you can eat, clean and unclean mould in your house and in your clothes etc. And then you have chapter 16, the Day of Atonement. You see your head in there, the Day of Atonement. And corresponding to that, I think that eating blood forbidden. So, I think 16 and 17 are the centre. And then what you have in 18 through to 20, uh, verse 27, which is the end of 20, verse 27, is various laws. And how do these two correspond, you might say? So, we have the Day of Atonement in the centre and on the first side we had clean and unclean, right? Things. Animals, clothing, etc. On the other side of the Day of Atonement, because the Day of Atonement is our centre, on the other side, we have clean and unclean lifestyle, as it were. Right? So it's holy living. These are the laws for how you are to live as distinct people. And on the other side, here is the stuff that makes you distinct. And then, after that, so that's 20 verse 27. And then watch this. You ready? What's next? Look at verse chapter 21. The look at the heading for that. What's it called? Rules for priests. Boom. So we had the Day of Atonement. We had clean and unclean stuff here. And just before that, remember, we had the priests. And so here we are back again. We're on to priests again. You get a little bit about priests. And then, finally, the last unit is at the uh, chapter... I think it's 23 and onwards through to the end is now we're back to rituals. So you have a bunch of festivals. uh, And then it it ends with... um, giving things to the Lord and redeeming things, so dedicating things to the Lord. Uh, essentially what we have here on, on, the, on both far ends is we have giving to the Lord and giving to the Lord or rituals concerning our um, uh, sacrifices and rituals concerning time. Uh, so we are wholly devoted to him in our lives and we're wholly devoted to him with our time at the two outer frames. Then moving in, it's about priests, Moving in, it's about distinctions, clean and unclean, and living, and at the centre is the Day of Atonement. Right? And the Day of Atonement is that one day of the year that the high priest gets to go into the very centre of the tabernacle, and that is the high moment of relationship with God in the garden, as it were. So can you see that? You see how Leviticus, even by its structure, has got right in the centre relationship with God and reminding the people about the garden and where we're going. And the last little clue that this is the right way to read the book is that there are only two narrative sections in the book. And they are chapter 10. So you just go back to chapter 10. And that, it says there, the death of Nadab and Abihu. You see that? The death of Nadab and Abihu? And what effectively is happening there is they they treat the offerings, the sacrifices, with contempt. They, they, they basically just approach the Lord how they like and they die. The, the, the other um, little bit of narrative, so the whole thing is just commands and these two little narratives come in is, in, is in chapter 24, uh, verse 10 to 23. And look what it is. Chapter 24, verse 10 to 23. See the heading there? Verse 10, chapter 24, verse 10. A blasphemer put to death. You see that? He treats the name of the Lord with contempt. So, uh, you effectively have, uh, both towards these outer sides, these two acts of, the whole book is geared around, you know, the holiness and the distinction of the Lord and about right relationship with him and how you approach him. And the only two narrative sections that you get are these two um, uh, narratives about people who, who treat the Lord or his sacrifices with contempt and die. And that teaches us about what is going on in the book. And it, it, you, can you see how that elevates for us the holiness of the Lord? Don't mess with the commands that the Lord gave through Moses to the Lord. We come to an end. I understand that that's a little bit different uh, tonight, um, but I hope that it will uh, help us as we uh, move on through. So the way that we'll move through the series now is we'll track through uh, those seven units and we'll um, pick up a couple of points at the end. There's one little section about blessing and curse which moves us through um, the book. So that doesn't have a correspondence, but that's because the book not only... Uh, is chiastic but it's also moving forward to uh, the next phase Um, so we'll pick up on that and we'll pick up on um, probably Nadab and Abihu and the contempt they show. So that's where we're going in the next nine weeks I hope that's going to be helpful and let me just end with this um, one last verse from uh, Hebrews it says here in Hebrews um in the past, actually and then we'll do the um, we'll communions together. In the past, Hebrews 1, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, just like he spoke to Moses in Leviticus. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The Lord spoke a word in the past uh, to Moses, to his people, but today... uh, but in his last days, he's spoken to us through his son, and so we'll pray that the the riches of that will, um, will come to us as we study Leviticus. Father, thank you for your Word. Uh, thank you that we get to uh, study through Leviticus as we think about your um, the meal that you gave to us, Jesus. Now, uh, as a mo- in a moment together, uh, we remember the sacrifice that you made uh, for us, Jesus. That you gave us your life, you offered up your life for our sins to make us clean. So we praise you and thank you that you have made a better way for us to be with you, God. Amen.